It is so much fun to watch God work. Best thing in the world is to watch him work. I have a question for you guys. When you think about Jesus, when you think about Jesus, what, what kind of picture typically comes into your mind when you think about Jesus? Do you think of him on the cross? Do you, do you think of him as a, a loving and kind teacher? Do you think of him as almighty God? According to the Barna Group, 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real physical man that lived in history. But just about everything else about Jesus generates enormous debate. That's why there's so much misinformation about him. And that's why we need to know the truth. And today, as we open God's word, we're going to see one of the clearest pictures of Jesus in the Bible. And it's important for us to know the truth so we can spot and reject all the counterfeit ideas that are out there. That, and some of them come pretty well, pretty convincing. But we need to know the truth. And we're going to see, who is Jesus really? We're going to find out. But first, please, let's pray together. Lord, we commit this time to you as we open your word. And we want to see you for who you really are. We need your Holy Spirit to help us do that. It's beyond us, Father, so we ask you, please, open our eyes to see you in a new way, and in such a powerful way, it changes our life. We ask this in your son's holy name. Amen. Please turn to, I started to say Corinthians, but that's the wrong book. It's Colossians, chapter 1. We're in verses 15 to 23. The question before us is, who is Jesus really and truly? Okay, so let's read together Colossians 15 to 20, chapter 1, 15 to 23. We have right here in front of us Jesus' resume. Let's read his work resume. Verse 15, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Here's the outline uh, for this passage today. We're going to look at, start off with Jesus' resume in creation, and then Jesus' resume in the church. So who is Jesus, really? Paul tells us in verse 15, look at this. He is the image of the invisible God. You know what this means? Paul is telling us 
that Jesus is God in every way. Jesus is God in every way. The Greek word for image, the Greek word for image here means exact likeness or perfect representation in every detail, every detail. Jesus does not just resemble the father like sometimes the son will resemble his dad. No, Jesus is the perfect representation of God. He is the image of the invisible God. God is called invisible because we can't see God with our eyes and we can't comprehend God with our minds. But in the person of Jesus, God becomes visible and God becomes knowable. Luke chapter 4, 14, verses 8 and 9. I'd like to read this to you. This is from the New Living Translation. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Who is Jesus? He is 100% God. To make sure that we fully understand what that means, that statement means that he is God, Paul has a lot more to tell us. Let's read on. Look at the end of verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn here does not mean Jesus was created first. It doesn't mean that at all. It is not saying Jesus was created first. Jesus is God. Jesus has always existed. Therefore, he was never created. So the word firstborn does not say anything about the chronology of creation. What the title means is Jesus is first in importance. Jesus Jesus is highest, highest in rank. He is the supreme ruler of all. So the next thing we need to know about Jesus is he rules over all creation, all of it. Paul gives us more stunning details. Look at the next two verses. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This verse tells us why Jesus rules over all creation. Jesus rules over all creation because Jesus created it all. Jesus created everything. Jesus is the creator God. That's who Jesus is. You know, a few years ago, I was in New York City, and I got to meet one of America's foremost architects. And on his resume is this little building. World Trade Center, that's the Tower One, 104 floors. I got to go up in that building before it was finished. I was on the 103rd floor, and they didn't have the glass in yet. And wow, was it cold up there. Um, Whole different weather pattern at the top of that building. One of the most famous buildings in the world. This architect made that. Here's a little accomplishment that Jesus made. (laughs) If you look real close, you can see Tower One from here. (laughs) All things were created by him, but not just on earth, but also in the heavens. So let's look at the next thing Jesus created. It's a little hard to see, but that's our neighborhood. That's Earth's neighborhood. That's the solar system. If we were going to travel from here to the sun, and the sun is just a little way across the solar system, for for us to travel from here to the sun, we'd have to go about 93 
a million miles. But wait, there's more because the heavens keep going. Jesus also made the Milky Way, our galaxy. That little red dot in there is the solar system compared to the size of the galaxy. But the heavens that Jesus created keep going. One more picture. This photo is what the science calls the observable universe. Just one of those little white dots represents our big galaxy we just looked at. Using data from the Hubble telescope, astronomers have calculated there are around 170 billion galaxies in the universe. But this is just what we can see. But Jesus created all things visible and invisible. Scientists are now saying that the whole side, the size of the whole universe is unknown and perhaps unmeasurable because they are starting to believe all of the universe may be infinite. It may be infinite. Jesus is the creator of all of this because he's our infinite God. I have to stop here and give you some homework. It's not, a, it's not science homework. It's practical homework. But if you're going to make a note, make a note to yourself this week. Let's you and I do something for homework this week. Every time we start to pray, let's stop before we pray and remember that Jesus created all of this, absolutely everything, visible and invisible, and let's see if the truth of that impacts the way we pray and see if that changes the way we trust his power with the requests that we are making to him. Look at verse 16 again. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In Paul's day, the false teachers were teaching that we should worship angels as the go-betweens between us and God. But Paul shows there's only one mediator, the Lord Jesus. Jesus has power and authority over all the angels of any kind, and over all authority of any kind, because Jesus is God. At the end of verse 16, Paul writes, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Do you see what the word of God is telling us? This is a Christ-centered universe. You and I live in a Christ-centered universe. Everything exists through Jesus and for Jesus. This can be really hard for us to, to accept because we would prefer to live in a me-centered universe, right? We want, we want to think, we like to think all things were created for us, not for the Lord. So we can really struggle to want to make Jesus the center of everything. So here's the compromise we might try to make. Maybe you've tried this. I know I have. Instead of putting Jesus at the center of your life, you put Jesus just a little off-center, hoping he won't notice. Put him a little off-center. You want to kind of have, you, you, you try for that pilot-co-pilot relationship with Jesus. It's where you want to be pilot in command most of the time, right? Until you get into bad weather. And then you turn to your co-pilot and say, uh, uh, Jesus, we've really gotten into some bad stuff here. Uh, why don't you take the controls for a while? I'll take them back when the weather clears. The word of God has information for you and I. Jesus is not our co-pilot. He is God. He is the center of the universe. So 
The big question for you, the big question for me, is Jesus the center of our universe? Is Jesus the center of our lives? Is Jesus the center of our family? The center of our career? The center of our thoughts and our actions and our priorities? If Jesus is not at the center, who or what is? Let's take a little test together. Look at this statement. My life is all about... It's a fill-in-the-blank test. My life is all about what? If you and I were to summarize what our life is all about in one word, you get one word, what would that one word be? My life is all about family? My life is all about happiness, health, Starbucks? What do you put in there? My life is all about what? Because Jesus is God, if we put any word in that blank other than Jesus, then God has a word for that. He calls it idolatry. An idol is anything that we put ahead of God. Is your life all about Jesus? Is my life all about Jesus? Our world is full of false gods. It's full of false gods that want to be the focus of our lives. Our careers want to rule us. Our expensive lifestyles want to dominate us. So do the gods of jealousy and bitterness and lust and pride and fear. We're under attack all the time by these false gods saying, turn to me, turn to me. I want to show you a great statement from C.S. Lewis. This would be a good one to take a picture of or write down. This is amazing. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Isn't that the truth? Don't you feel it? Don't you feel it? Every time you try to take a step forward for God, you feel Satan trying to claim that step you just took, take you the other way. Let's see what else we can learn about Jesus, our God. Uh, let's read verse 17 again. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The phrase, he is before all things, tells us that before the universe was created, Jesus already exists. Therefore, he is the eternal God. Jesus is the eternal God. And in him, all things hold together. Jesus sustains the universe. Jesus maintains the power and the balance necessary for life to exist and continue to exist. When I was in high school, our chemistry teacher taught us that what held the universe together is this thing called cosmic glue. He said, cosmic glue holds the universe together. That's not right. That's not right. The universe depends on Jesus, not on glue. And to make it a little more personal for you and I, our next breath depends on Jesus, not our lungs. Think about that. So here's the next truth about Jesus. Jesus holds everything together. Not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally. And as I'm looking into your faces, I know you know this is true. You know this from firsthand experience. Outside of Jesus, we find chaos, fear, confusion, but in Jesus, all things come together. When he is the center of our life, we find God's 
ultimate purpose for our life. When we're in Jesus, when he is the center of our life, he holds us together no matter what we go through. He's holding us together. Pastor Doug showed us this last week, but the things that we pursue other than Jesus, they can be nice things, but at best, they can only give us temporary relief. If we want permanent relief, everlasting strength, power, and peace, and joy, it comes only one place, with Jesus at the center of our universe. Here, then, is the summary of the first half, or first part of this passage. Here's the summary of this passage. Jesus is God. All of creation relies on Jesus. Only the human heart is foolish enough to think otherwise. I'll say that again. Jesus is God. All of creation relies on Jesus. But only the human heart is foolish enough to think otherwise. So we've seen Jesus in creation as his resume in creation. Now let's look at Jesus' resume in the church. Verse 18. He is also head of the body, the church. So Jesus is the head of the church. Just like our brain directs our body, Jesus gives the church life and purpose and direction. <clears throat> I hope it encourages you a lot to know that at the Rock Community Church, our leadership, our elders, our pastors, our staff, our ministry leaders, all of us submit completely to Jesus' complete and full authority over us. This is his church, not ours. And that truth impacts every prayer and every decision. Let's read 18 as it continues. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He is the beginning means that Jesus created the church just like he created the universe. He's the firstborn from the dead. A literal translation of this would be that Jesus was the first to be resurrected, never to die again. In other words, Jesus defeated death. Jesus is God. His glorious resurrection proves his power over victory and death. And in Jesus, when you and I are in Jesus, <laughs> we enter into a new life that gives you and I power over death too. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 5. I'd like to read this to you in the New Living Translation. If you haven't read this for a while, just sit back and enjoy this wonderful news. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will, present, we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, we sure do. I added, we sure do. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. If you're older, 
Have you ever looked back at a picture of yourself when you were younger and your body was fit and flexible and your joints didn't hurt? You ever look at that and you just kind of, ah, oh, you sigh because that young body is no more? Here's some great news. In heaven, we have great bodies waiting for us. And they're going to be better than us in our prime because these bodies are made for us by God and they are perfect and they are everlasting. In Jesus, we have the best retirement plan in the universe. Let's learn some more things about Jesus, our God. Verses 19 to 20 of Colossians 1. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. To him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. All the fullness means that all of our Heavenly Father's powers and attributes dwell completely in the Son. Dwell means permanently, forever. Verse 20 also tells us that all things are reconciled through Jesus. Reconciled means to restore completely and forever. To restore completely and forever. When we put our faith in Jesus, you and I are reconciled. We are restored to a right and true relationship with God. Now, ultimately, the entire universe will be reconciled when Jesus comes back. So here's another fact we need to understand about Jesus, our God. All things, all things are reconciled. All things are restored. You and I are restored through Jesus. Only Jesus, the Son, can change the sinner's relationship with God, the Father. The only way you and I can have peace with God, we've read, is through the blood of his cross. Let's think about that for a moment. The blood of his cross. Here's something to help, help us picture this a little bit. You have that next slide? Thank you. Let's think. Let's think about what Jesus did on the cross. As Jesus hung on the cross, he was fully human and he was fully God. As the creator God, that means that Jesus created the wood that became his cross. And Jesus created those elements that became the nails that pierced his body. As the God who holds all things together, Jesus could have stopped his crucifixion at any time just by changing his mind. As Jesus stood before Pilate, as Jesus was being beaten, as Jesus was being ridiculed and executed, all Jesus had to do was say, nope, I'm not doing this. I'm not sacrificing myself today. And no one and nothing could have stopped him. But Jesus, our God, chose to suffer and die in the most horrible way to pay the horrible cost of your sin and my sin. His death brings us life. His death makes peace possible with God, not just now, but forever. Look at the end of verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This means that Jesus' grace and power covers every nook and cranny of the universe and every nook and cranny of your life and my life. 
my dear brothers and sisters, we cannot live divided lives. We cannot live divided lives where we surrender part of ourselves to Jesus and part of ourselves to the world. Jesus created you and me. Then Jesus came and died for you and me. Why? So we could have a part-time, half-hearted relationship with him? There's a biblical word for that. The word is baloney. <laughs> God created us and God saved us to have a full-time, passionate, personal relationship with him. That's what this is all about. A relationship where when we sin, we confess our sins to him. And we seek his forgiveness and we seek to follow him in everything we do in every way. This is what it means to make Jesus the center of our lives. Paul drives this home as he wraps up this passage. Let's look at verses 21 to 23. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which Paul, I, Paul, was made a minister. This passage tells us what God sees when he looks at us. Without Jesus, God sees that we are alienated. Alienated means that our sin separates us from him. We are cut off from God. Without Jesus, we are hostile in mind. Hostile means that we resent God's standards. We do. By nature, we don't want to do things his way. We want to do things our way. That's our nature. Without Jesus, our desires are evil. Evil means our selfish actions do not bring honor to Christ in any way. That's what he sees when we're without Christ. But look at the next part. In Jesus, when we trusted his death and resurrection, everything for you and me changes. Everything changes. We are no longer cut off, hostile, and evil. Jesus presents us as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. <clears throat> Do you know what holy and blameless and beyond reproach means? It means that when you and I are in Jesus, God the Father considers us to be as holy and innocent as Jesus, his son. That's the power of what Jesus did on the cross. His blood washes us completely clean, innocent, not guilty. Let's look at verse 22 and 23 again real quick. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Verse 23 is not telling you and I that we can lose our salvation. It's not what this is saying at all. It's telling us that in Jesus, we are restored to a right relationship with God. We enjoy a personal relationship with God that is real, and it is priceless to us. So we will not let go of that for any reason. We're not going to let go of God. We will persevere in our faith. Why? Because we're strong? No, because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have made us new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this wonderful statement. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she 
is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. As new creatures in Christ, we don't abandon the truth. We embrace the truth. This passage does not suggest that our perseverance earns salvation. What it's telling us simply is that real faith perseveres. Real faith perseveres. I'd like to close by looking at what we've learned about Jesus, our God. Jesus is God in every way. Jesus rules over all creation. Jesus created everything. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus holds everything together. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus defeated death. All things are restored through Jesus. This is who Jesus is. So, what is our response? You and I have to respond to this. My challenge to you and my challenge to me this week is, at, is to spend more time this week meditating on who Jesus really is. Let's see how the truth of who Jesus Christ really is. Let's see how that changes the way we think. Let's see how that changes the way we get up and go to work in the morning. Let's see how that changes the words we choose. Jesus is God. How can we not surrender everything to him? How can we not make him the center of our universe? Chris, if you want to come up, we'll, well, in a moment we'll have a song just to respond to him. But first, let me dismiss us in prayer. Uh, our prayer team will be right over here at the end of the service. Father, how do we thank you for your truth? Lord, thank you for telling us who Jesus is. Lord, I pray we see you for who you really are. Maybe we've come in today with some false ideas. Show us those false ideas. Convict us, Lord, of any sin in our life. Show us where in our lives we're living for ourselves or we're living for someone or something else and not for you. Father, we want to make you the center of our whole lives. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, change us. Give us the desire to make you our God, the center of everything we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.